Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Creator Talks, the interview show with comic book writers, artists, editors, colorists, and letterers. On today's episode, my guest is Wes Loker. Wes is the author and creator of the comic book Unit 44, started out as a webcomic and is now being published as a graphic novel collection by Alterna Comics. What's it like? Well, think of X-Files as a comedy. Think of Men in Black. Think of a buddy cop film. This is a book full of humor, sci-fi book, and it's a great read. I read the whole thing, and I highly recommend it. It will certainly surprise you. Now, with my interviews, I talk to the creators to learn more about them, how they got to where they are, who they are, so you know more about them, so I don't go into the book in great detail. This is not a book review. I can just tell you that I liked it. I thought it was really good. I thought it was very funny. It would make a great film or a great cartoon. Uh, All the ingredients are there. Uh, Some great comic beats, well-written, lots of fun. I think you'll enjoy it. Now, by day, Wes is a freelance writer. So I talk about growing up in a household where his father was a writer, his mother was a teacher, how that influenced him, and of course, my three questions about rest and relaxation, his island book, and his beverage of choice. Now next year, I have to come up with new questions, so I will have a new set for 2018 and for returning guests. These are ones I've thought about. All right then, let's get to it. My interview with writer and creator, Wes Loker, on Unit 44 and more, here now on Creator Talks. Wes, welcome to Creator Talks. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you here, and we finally got a chance to catch up because I had so many things on my plate. I'm like, Wes, please hang in there for me. It'll be worth the wait. I feel good about it. <laughs> good. <laughs> so you are a freelance writer, and I guess you were destined to be one because uh-huh. your parents both had writing as one of their talents. Your father was a journalist. And may I ask, what? who was he a journalist for? Who did he write for? Uh, he worked for the, uh, the the newspaper just here in town for his entire career. I, actually, it's it's crazy because he just retired yesterday after 44 years. So it's been kind of a bittersweet weekend around the uh, the Loker household. But uh, I'm super proud of him. He's had a crazy career. Just the different things that he's done. Um, he was actually on the campus at, during the Kent State shootings in Ohio. Uh, he was he's been shot at. He's carried dead bodies. He's done a little bit of everything. So he's had a very interesting career, and I'm glad that he can finally sit back and relax a bit. <laughs> I was going to say, what was that like? <laughs> Memories, and there's quite a few. Is there one that stands out in your mind, like when he came home from work? Maybe that Kent State shooting. Maybe him being shot at. Which one really stands out in your mind? No, because he, he, he tended to like downplay everything, and and he actually wouldn't even like talk about stuff until years later. So he would say like, oh yeah, there was actually this one time that you know I was doing an interview and and someone started shooting and the window next to me exploded. But he see he always thought he was invincible because he was a, a reporter and he thought oh, no one's going to shoot the reporter. So so I would just find out about these things later. Like really, this was this was like a year ago. Oh yeah yeah yeah, no big deal. It's a real testament that he's been in that business for so long. I actually my day job. I work in the media business, and the property is a newspaper, as a matter of fact. So to be there for 44 years. Yeah, that's who he is. He loves it. You know, it was it was something that uh, he's really enjoyed his career, thankfully. And, and I'm, it's always nice when, when people can serve their time and, and actually, you know, not look forward to retirement, but retire because they're ready, not because they can't wait to get out. Well, good for him. And your mom was an English teacher. Where did she teach? 
Uh, she taught just on the high school level. She was a, an English literature teacher. So growing up, you know, around the house, we always had her textbooks, which contained tons of, of Shakespeare, all the classics. So it was something where, you know, I could just go and pull these things off a bookshelf and was exposed to a lot of really great literature very early. I don't necessarily didn't comprehend it all at the time, but it was something that was always fun um, just as somebody who had a massive book collection himself. It, there was never a deficit of things to read. That's perfect. My wife and I have always talked about that, creating an environment for the kids where there's a lot of stimulation with books and and when there is television, good television. So my sons are surrounded by books. They read. I read to them. Of course, they're surrounded by comic books that I read to them. <laughs> good I man, bring, good man. I want to bring them up right. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, did your mom do any creative writing of her own? Just things that she liked to write for herself, not related to school, but because she was an English teacher. No, she didn't really do that. She did. Um, she actually did journalism for a little while. That's where she met my father. Um, but she then kind of went down the teaching path. She decided that was that was kind of more her passion. Um, but how it benefited me is that you know, as I spoke, as I wrote, um, I've always always written short stories and such growing up. Uh, she's always correcting my grammar, so it actually helped lay a, a good foundation. Even to this day, like when when I text message her, she still corrects my grammar. So that's <laughs> that's fun and helpful. You don't always appreciate it at the time, but then you realize, oh, that actually helped me. She didn't she didn't do it to make me feel bad. She did it for my knowledge, so I can appreciate that. Good for her. You know, I've done the same thing with my kids sometimes uh, about because you know they. My daughter, she's older, and and she does text and she writes emails, mostly texting. And, uh, you know, grammar doesn't really play into it a whole lot, but I always write everything, whether it be an email, a text, the grammar is proper. Yep. I just always, <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't stop myself from doing it. I just have to write in a complete sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody that gets my text messages say, like, you know, wow, you really, you really took advantage of those 160 characters. And I was like, well, I needed a period there, you know? It's, it's, it's how it how it works. You know, it goes a long way because I read a lot as a kid. I read a lot of comics, read a lot of paperbacks because it was kind of like, you know, comics was the entryway. And then I went into fiction and read those books and read a lot of them. So when I got to college and I took psychology as an undergrad and I did uh, write up experiments for the professor, he would say to me, you know, I like reading your write-ups. Even though it's a scientific study, it's a scientific write-up, it reads like a story. I mean, I can actually read it. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's yeah. fantastic. And I think part of me worries too that like, you know, I don't want the art of writing to disappear as we mm -hmm. move into the world of, of shorthand and emojis and things like that. I think, you know, as, as I become a little bit older, I think that's something that's very important to me is I don't want to, I don't think it, we as a culture and society should lose that. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I agree. I'm a little worried about that too. I mean, the emojis and things are great to add to what I'm writing so people know how I feel when I'm writing so they don't take it the wrong way, like he's angry. No, I'm just saying, ha-ha, you know. But but still being able to write is a very important skill. And I've heard it said that you are not a writer, if you consider yourself a writer, unless you're writing something every day. Very true. I, I would consider that as well. It's like any other craft. You have to you have to work at it. Do you write something every day, even if it's something short or a paragraph, some thoughts, something you're kind of piecing together for a future work? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I'm the person that tends to always have a notebook at arm's length and, and whether it's my own creative projects or for my day job as a freelance writer. I mean, I, there's not a day goes by that I don't put something down. I feel like I have to just to, to keep my brain trained. Yeah, you got to keep the skills sharp because if you don't, I find it takes me a while to get back into the rhythm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. I don't know if you still do, but you've worked as a journalist yourself. That's your day job uh, in the town of uh, 
Port St. Joe, where your your wife lives, your wife's hometown, where you both live now. Are you still living there? Yeah, we, we actually moved out of there a year ago. Uh, we live in Ohio now, but, uh, kind of close to where I grew up. But um, yeah, I actually worked as a journalist for four years there, um, which was a great opportunity. I mean, it nothing, even though it's not necessarily creative, it, it is what it is, and I guess it's very factual-based, um, but just having to write uh, multiple stories every day and, and basically having to produce a focused narrative. It was great practice for just, you know, writing short stories. You're, you're telling the beginning, the middle, and an end. You're giving people the information that they need. Um, so it's, it, even though it, it wasn't writing fiction, it, I found it to be very beneficial just to myself and, and my writing skills and writing ability. No, I agree because uh, my day job uh, where I work, I work in marketing, but I have written articles um, for the newspaper and online about mm -hmm. comic book creators that were coming to the area. And I found it extremely beneficial because my editor would say, well, the first thing you have to tell me is, why should I give a crap? you got to catch right. my attention in that first paragraph. you got to grab me. And then it has to flow and make sense all the way through. And you have to speak to people that may not know anything about this and keep their interest. That served me tremendously, and it's helped me. And I like going back every once in a while and writing something just to keep my skills up. And I find it's easier each time because now I understand how I have to communicate my ideas so that it hooks someone and they, they actually read it. Yeah, and the other thing about it, like a newspaper article or magazine article, is that once somebody has read it, you want the reader to feel that they're an expert on the subject now so that they can go and talk to their friends about it or their, their significant other about it. You want to provide them with enough facts that as they word of mouth it along, it's, it's a consistent, true story. And, you know, there's something to be said there for how media, some media is nowadays where it gets taken out of context and such, but I always felt like, you know, it was my mission to to make sure that I, I understood it personally and I could convey that knowledge to the reader so that they would come out of it feeling smarter. Was there an assignment that you had as a freelancer that you really enjoyed and is one that you were the most proud of? Um, from a journalism standpoint? Yes. Um, it, the place where I worked was very, it was a very small town. We, there were two traffic lights and the, the publication was actually weekly. So more for me, I, I found myself where I would year after year be covering the same events, like certain festivals would come up or certain fundraisers would come up every single year. Um, so I think what I was most proud of, and, and I can more speak generally to it, was any time that, you know, that I met somebody that had an interesting story that I was able to kind of sit down with them and, and mine um, for, for content. For instance, the, it was a beach town, so it drew a lot of tourism to the area. And so I found that a lot of the people that were visiting, a lot of folks that would come and stay over the course of the winter, um, you know, from up north Canada, uh, they all, you know, a lot of them had interesting stories. So I would actually try to find writers, like people who were authors and interview them about their books or their projects they did. So I, I got to meet a lot of interesting people that way and was given a lot of complimentary copies for my bookshelf as well. So it was mutually beneficial. And was that an assignment? Was that something that you came up with and, and pitched to the newspaper that they would let you write something like that? Yeah, it was a very small team. It was it was only two people, so it was myself and an editor. So he was very open to that type of thing. He really believed in the the ethos of a small town community newspaper. So anything that would help us get to know the the people who live there, the people who visited, was was good content for us. In school, you studied audio engineering and played in rock bands. What did you? I did. What did you play? For about eight years, I in a couple different bands, I, I played guitar, I played keyboard, I, I was the, the lead singer, I wrote the majority of the music. It was a very interesting and, and entertaining way to spend one's youth. Did you play covers as well, besides writing your own music? No, we everything that we did was completely original. So we would we'd do the 
album thing. We produced records. We'd play all over the state. Every weekend we were in a van going somewhere, uh, whether that was a, a birthday party or whether that was a you know a huge rock show in a major town. So it was, it was a ton of fun. Do you all still stay in touch? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm amazing friends with everybody that I played music with. I don't, I don't do it anymore. It's, we, the music industry has changed a lot in the past few years, you may be aware, which is with digital music and such. And so it, it became where it was very difficult to, to make a living, uh, something that we all wanted to do. Um, so eventually it just got to the point where, you know, when you're fighting an uphill battle and you kind of say, well, I could keep plugging away at this, or I could maybe refocus my time and do something that's a little bit different and perhaps more enjoyable. Uh, and plus, you know, you can only play in so many bars until they all start to look the same and people, people want to pay you in beer and that's, you know, it doesn't really help fill the gas tank or help you pay your rent. So, you know, you just kind of look at your priorities in life. And like I said, a great way to spend you know, basically my entire 20s was spent playing in bands, and, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Now, you studied audio engineering, and I was thinking, I wonder if that affects the way you listen and enjoy music, because are you now more critical about the mastering and the mix of music since you studied audio engineering? Uh, definitely. I mean, you you know, you put something on, and you know immediately, I, I can tell whether it was, you know, produced on a, on a large scale by a large company or if it was recorded in somebody's garage. Now, the, the benefit to all that is that, um, you know, computers now just come with the tools. You know, Apple will give you rock band with your with your computer, and that really gives you all the, the functionality that you need to produce an amazing record. So um, I've heard things that I thought were, you know, big budget recordings that somebody did in their bedroom. So it's, it's really kind of leveled the playing field, and I think that that's really interesting and that's really great because I think major labels are pretty – evil corporation. So anything that allows people to get their music heard and, and gives them the ability to to make money from their talent without people siphoning a lot off the top, I think is amazing. It is really a big benefit of the technology that people that have this song within them can express it because there's no limitation now because the technology is there. It's just getting your word out there. Same for comics. Yep. Even this podcast, if it weren't for Apple and some of the products that they have, it would not sound as good and it wouldn't be as easy for me to do. It would be much more difficult for me to produce something and get it out there. So it is a benefit. That means there's a lot out there, but you know, there's, that doesn't mean you, know, you automatically are in if you have the technology. Yay, look at me. I have a platform. I'm up. No, you sure. still have, the, to, you have to work at it. Yeah, the cream rises to the top you yep. know, in, in the industry. But you know, what's great about it is just even from a podcast standpoint, I have a lot of friends that do podcasts as well, and you know, they don't have to they don't have to hire somebody to to edit it or record it. You know, they can do it all themselves. And I think that that kind of DIY ethic is is fantastic thing to have. And I think you understand the whole process a lot better and what the capabilities are. And it may impact how the music comes out because you know what you can do. You know there are fewer limits and you can do it all yourself and make it sound exactly how you want it to sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives everybody a lot of control and, and they can produce you know, they don't they don't have to answer to somebody or that wants them to sound different or do something different or do a cover song. You know, they can they can stay true to themselves, which is important in art in general. Now, you are a freelancer by day. Mm -hmm. Do you sometimes wake up at night worried about the next gig or are you the kind of person that's just hustling so much that your work cup runneth over with projects? <laughs> that you always have something in queue. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um I find that sometimes I, I completely inundate myself with things and then I start to get anxiety about it because I have a deadline every day for two or three weeks straight. And, and then you have those small stretches that, you know, things start to dry up a little bit and hopefully you've, you've saved enough money. But uh, I, I feel that I went into it in a smart way. I actually have only been freelancing for a year now. Um, but 
in the four years prior to that, I was, I've been building up my client list. So whether that's uh, creative writing or copywriting or um, writing for video games or, or writing comics even, uh, I, I feel that I, I made sure that I, I had people that were consistently paying me before I decided to let the day job go. Very smart. That's a good idea. It's more than just a hope and a wish and a dream. You have a practical way to go about doing it. You got to do the math first and make sure you can still eat when you take that leap. And my, my wife is also a freelancer, so she and she's been doing it for about seven years. So I kind of got to see her career trajectory as well and, and learn from some of the, the stumbles that she had along the way. So I felt like I had a, a good mentor in that arena. And, you know, she cued me in on the, the emotional highs and lows that she had experienced. So I, I went into it very smartly, I think. Isn't that how the two of you met through freelance work? Uh, no, we, we both went to the same college. And then after college, we both started working at the same place. So we just kind of met doing that. And, and then life took us a, a myriad of different places before we landed where we are now. Okay. Now, on to this little thing called uh, Unit 44. Sure. Uh, your graphic novel. It's described as an X-File sitcom. I would say it has a lot of the elements of Men in Black. It's kind Absolutely. of a buddy cop type thing. And there's a lot of humor and uh, we were talking about this just before we started rolling the tape, haha, <laughs> digital, <laughs> uh, how some people, they do like the humor, get it. I love the humor. It's great. I hope they, the timing and the beats of the humor are fantastic. And some don't get it. And I guess looking at the back of the book, they see the little blurbs about what it is and don't get it. And I only can say you have to read it. You can't just like thumb through it or glance at it. You have to read it to get the humor and really appreciate it. Yeah, I think much like anything, you know, once you hear what it's about, you know, if it's something that you're interested in, for instance, the 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 kernel of the idea that I always give people at conventions or, or to retailers is I tell them that unit 44 is the story of inept area 51 employees who forget to pay the rent on their storage unit and the secret contents are sold at public auction. And that line typically gets people to either laugh hysterically or they kind of shrug <laughs> their shoulders and wander away awkwardly. So uh, if they laugh, then that's even better. I say, you know, you, you laughed at that one sentence. Now just imagine, you know, an entire series of that. And then they're usually in. I think it's interesting that I read how you got this idea watching the TV series Storage Wars, which I've seen. Yeah. I've, I've watched quite a few of those, actually, and enjoyed those. And it was like a flash of inspiration. Once you saw that, the idea just popped into your head. And you ran off to go work on it. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, sometimes you, you get hit with these ideas as, as a creative person and, you know, your brain, you know, your brain will not rest until you do something with them. So I just remember running in and grabbing a notebook and just furiously writing, you know, just kind of a, a, a sketch up of the characters and, and who they might be and what type of situation and what might be in that storage unit that could, um, you know, potentially be a horrible world changing event. So just, you know, getting the, the gist of it. And thankfully, it really didn't change a whole lot from the actual finished product. So um, occasionally, you can capture lightning in a bottle, and, and not every project comes that smoothly. Uh, but for some reason, this one is really one that just, just came together, not only through the, the germ of the idea, but through actually, like, getting an artist and, and doing the production of it and kickstarting it and finding a publisher. Like, it was very, it's probably the easiest project I've ever put together, I'm happy to say. And it involves an alien invasion, and you know people might read that, and I read that, and I go, oh, okay, an alien invasion book. When you read the book, again, there's a lot of humor in it, and when you find out why there's an alien invasion, that's part of the humor. I, it, again, you need to read the whole thing to really appreciate how much humor is in this book and how there's just – it's just like music. There's a timing and a rhythm, mm -hmm. and it all hits. That's the best way I can describe it. 
That's awesome. I think that, you know, if you are going to advertise that something is funny, if you're going to market it as a comedy, you have to make sure that you deliver on that. So myself and the artist Ed Jimenez, I mean, we really worked hard to make sure that there was something funny on every page, whether it was a, a joke, whether that was a visual gag, something to, to look at, something to joy, something to bring a smile to the reader's face was really important to us. Since you mentioned Ed, I'll jump there, that uh, you had to find the right artist, you wanted the right style for the book. You wanted something mm -hmm. a little more cartoony, not grim and gritty and apocalyptic. This was much more of a, well, it's a humor book. So you found Ed on Twitter, um, which I thought I was cool. And it seemed to be like, bang, a really good fit. He was excited to do it. And you can see there's the written humor and the expressions are really funny. And now you write full script. Everything. I do. Yeah, I, I make sure that I give Ed, you know, kind of what I see in my head, um, you know, the backgrounds, the characters, the locations, the, the vehicles, the, the weapons, you know, everything that's that's on the page. I try to make sure that I give him some frame of reference. Uh, but at the same time, then everything is followed with the caveat, you know, here's this, this and this, but draw whatever you want. So there's been a couple times where, you know, Ed may have changed a, a page layout. He may have added panels, subtracted panels, but everything was for the better. You know, he I needed him to run the script through his kind of creative filter. Uh, because I, I, you know, I, I don't just look for artists that are going to be art monkeys and draw what they're told. I want people that are going to produce a work that they're genuinely happy with and proud of and happy to promote and have in stores eventually. Um, so you know, I, I really knew that after talking with him and, and kind of him sharing some preview art with me, I knew that we were going to mesh really well. We have the exact same sense of humor. Uh, so just, you know, when you have that, just a friendship first, I think that it, it turns it into less of a business and more of just a, a fun, creative endeavor. The same thing as, as when I was playing music. You know, it was it was people who I genuinely enjoyed being in the company of and creating with. Um, so to translate that to the comic book world has been probably the highlight of, of my career in that thus far. Has Eduardo produced things that you go, wow, that is better than what I had imagined in my own head? Oh, yeah, and, and every artist does that I that I work with. But, um, you know, they're... I didn't give him any direction on, you know, what the aliens in the book should look like. You know, I wanted that to be something where where he drew what was going to be fun for him. Because when you draw a comic book, you're drawing these characters anywhere from, you know, 50 to 200 times. So you want to make sure that it's something that they're going to, um, you know, have fun with and genuinely enjoy. So I just said, you know, the characters are all you. You know, here's who they are. Um, you, you know, you build the physical skeleton around them. And that's what we're going to roll with. So every everybody that you see on the page um, was 100% visually his creation. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I really like those a lot. And what I found interesting about your way of working, besides you know you have a full script, is you start out with a structure, kind of like you have jokes that you want to work into the book, and then around that you start to build your story. But you know when I read it, it wasn't like, oh, okay, I see, he was just trying to get to this joke. Like you know, people set up a joke, and there's a long way to get there. It right. doesn't. It doesn't read like that at all. You have these moments in mind. But you do an excellent job of getting to each one very naturally. The whole thing just flows along like a great comedy movie, a comedy action movie, or a cartoon. It's uh, it's interesting how you did that, how you had those little little milestones along the way of humor. Yeah, and I like that you say that because, like as you said, I mean, there definitely were a lot of jokes that I knew that I wanted to make. And it was kind of figuring out you know, how to get to from point A to point B and still hit that joke along the way. And, and I didn't let it dictate the story because obviously if you're going to produce a comic book, the story has to be king at that point. So it was, it was, can I work this in? And there were a lot that hit the cutting room floor in the process, but you know, you try to make sure that again, if it's going to be comedy, you know, you can't just have a great story. You, you better be making people laugh. It's just like, if you watch a TV comedy and it's not funny, you're not going to keep watching it. And this started as a digital project, four parts, 
and then you wanted to launch it as a Kickstarter to get it printed. And it, you kind of had a um, pause in the process. You suspended it because you had a larger print run ready to go. And then you skinned it down to about 750 because you knew then you had a, a better printer who could do it at a better price. Yeah, we, we actually ended up getting a better printing quote. And this was for the graphic novel that came out through Alternate Comics. Mm -hmm. um, we, we thought it was going to be one price. And then after just some number crunching, we realized that we could do it for a little bit less. And so I didn't feel comfortable asking for a larger amount of money, A, because I didn't want to take more than I needed. Uh, and B, it, you know, it, it's a uphill battle when you do Kickstarter either way. So I figured, hey, if we can uh, bring this to people and they know that the goal is going to be a little bit of a smaller scale, I think we can get more people involved. If Typically, you know, the way that I feel, I do, I look at a lot of Kickstarter projects, I back a lot of Kickstarter projects. And if I see that, you know, they're looking for, you know, $30,000 and on halfway through the campaign, they're, you know, a quarter of the way there and they're not going to make it. That makes me kind of less enthused about it and less mm -hmm. likely to support it because I feel like it's, it's something where even if I want to support them, they there may be something wrong with their campaign. They may have some number issues that they need to work out. So um, thankfully, the, the great thing is that even though we launched it and then we suspended it, um, once we got going again, I'm pretty sure that every single person ended up coming back and supporting the new one. So we ended up hitting that goal with little problem. And something that's a really big compliment is that Peter Sametti, the publisher of Alterna Comics, reached out to you to have this printed as a graphic novel and get it into diamond previews. Yeah, it was the, it was the easiest comic book pitch I've ever done, thankfully. Typically when you when you have a project and you're sending it around to the the publishers that are out there, it's, you know, either one rejection after another or worse, you don't hear anything at all. So, you know, to just get an email in my inbox one day from somebody that um, you know, that I personally admired. I've always been a big fan of Alterna Comics. I I'm very much an indie comics reader. So, I remember, you know, feels like 10 years ago I was reading their book Nova, which is this little black and white kind of alien story that I really liked. Um, you know, it was like, wow, okay, uh, I'll, you know, I'll pay attention to this. I'll give this the benefit of the doubt. And then just talking it through with Ed and getting to see Peter's contract and kind of hearing what his plan was for the book. It was, you know, it fit right in line with what we were going to do ourselves. So if we could have somebody that, you know, had the ability to help promote it to a wider audience, somebody that was going to be as passionate about the project as you are, it's, it's hard to turn that down at that point. Well, it's definitely going to help put the book in the spotlight because Alterna's been around for a while, about 10, 11 years, mm -hmm. and they started out doing graphic novels, uh, trades, and now they've moved into the newsprint comic books. So that's been getting a lot of attention because oh, yeah. you know, it's $1.50, it's affordable, you can buy more books. And so they, and I, I have to say that one of my podcasts that got the most listens was actually when Peter was on there talking about newsprint. Yeah. So it's in the spotlight now. So you're in a, you're in a good place. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a great time to be part of the Alterna family. I mean, just, just to see the quality of books that are coming out and to see that they're actually in shops. I mean, it, it's hard for the indie publishers to get that shelf space. And, and even for me, when I was going around to my local retailers and promoting the book um, and, and, you know, asking them if they'd consider ordering it and tell them, telling them about it, you know, it was cool because I was going in there and I was seeing these books on the shelves. And, and as an indie creator that has produced work through, you know, that's been distributed through Diamond into shops before. I've never seen my book on a shelf. Um, so to see that what he was doing with the newsprint and actually getting it out there, um, you know, it made people very open to to stocking a graphic novel as well. I want to ask one thing about the book. I was reading it, and I don't want to spoil things, but there's a, a panic alarm in the book with different <laughs> levels of panic. And yes. the top level, was that a homage or nod to Freakazoid? It, yeah, absolutely. And, and I had to 
you know, I, I kind of had to do share some background with Ed so that made <laughs> sense. But but yeah, totally. Awesome, because I love that cartoon. <laughs> oh yeah, it was fantastic, and it was really wacky. It had a strange sense of humor. It was right up my alley. It was right around. I think it was a couple years maybe after the the Tick animated series. Yeah. So it was like, there was 90s with some good cartoons. When I was uh, living in my townhouse, I woke up one night, middle of the night, and I saw Freakazoid on TV. And there was something about watching that and uh, also watching uh, the Batman series in the middle of the night that I thought was really, really cool. And I enjoyed it even more. So when my daughter would come over and she was little, I'd wake her up like at six and say, let's watch Freakazoid on Cartoon <laughs> Network. And she'd come, yeah. so every morning we'd watch Freakazoid before school. So it was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that good, show. Good parenting, good parenting. <laughs> you also said the book is like X-Files with humor. And I'm sure you probably watched the last season of X-Files when it came back in 2016. I did, yeah. I, I'm very big X-Files fan, so I, I watched them all You know, as the series aired on television growing up. And then um, when the new season dropped, I pretty much watched that all in one sitting, I think. My favorite episode out of all of them, and you probably would agree, was the one where Mulder and Scully meet the were-monster. The were-monster. It, it was such a good episode because it, it was genuinely funny and, and still kind of poignant at the same time. Um, my my wife is too. She doesn't like horror stuff, and she doesn't like kind of sci-fi stuff as much. So she gets scared very easily. And I was like, "You have to watch this one episode, just this one. It's so good." And and she wouldn't, but I really wanted to share that with her because I thought it was done just really well, and it was really bizarre, but it was it was really well written. I could watch it again and again. And one of the things I liked about it is I remember from the original series, you know, everyone had a cell phone. And I would always comment, well, that's not real because they don't work all the time and you can't get a <laughs> yes. signal. But what I thought was funny was Mulder dealing with a, uh, a smartphone. <laughs> right, right. No, they did a great job of just, you know, keeping keeping the feel and keeping the vibe and showing how these characters would, would act in, you know, against the, the world as we live in now. So I can't wait for the, the next run coming out next year. And I hope that show continues forever. Something about your book I want to just go back to is that when you launched your Kickstarter, uh, that one of your backers that was behind your book, two of them actually, was Don and Laura Dotson of Storage Wars. Imagine my surprise when I got that email. So I, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember how we linked up with them. Maybe it was through through Twitter. I was promoting, I think maybe the original digital series when it was coming out, and people would tag it with Storage Wars, and and the hashtag somehow got to them to the point where they were you know, retweeting my tweets about Unit 44. And then eventually I got an email from them saying like, hey, we, we heard about your book. We really like the idea. Um, w it would be cool if we could get maybe put into it as auctioneers. And so there was some discussion there. And ultimately, uh, Dan made a very nice uh, donation to us to kind of help the project get its footing. So I was really appreciative. And that's why he appears on page two of the comic book. Aha, uh -huh, yes, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there. More recently, I read on your blog you have Compromised, which was like a three, four-page story. It wasn't very long. Mm -hmm. Joe Catapano did the art. Yeah, it was just uh, sometimes uh, artists will reach out to me and they'll they'll ask like, hey, do you have kind of a, a short story that you might need drawn? I'm, I'm trying to kind of build my skills. And so I met Joe a few years ago. We, we've actually both lived in Orlando, Florida at the same time. Um, and, and so it was something that he had kind of approached me about and had been working on for a couple of years. He just had a few other projects get in the way. Uh, so one day kind of out of the blue, he's like, oh, hey, I, you know, I did that story that we started working on a few years ago. And I said, fantastic. You know, I don't I don't have a place for it right now, but I can just put it on my website, which will get decent traffic and people will kind of be able to get familiar with your art code, your website. He does a lot of YouTube art tutorials. And so we just put it up for free and 
you know, if you can remove the barrier to entry, why not? I liked it because it had a twist, like you messed with my head. Um, <laughs> and it's it's not a humor comic, and it's much more serious, and it has some uh, deep emotional beats in it too. So uh, mm-hmm. people should check that out. And it's it's short, but man, it packs a big emotional punch in a very short space. Very cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I think that if you can pull off a good story in, in just a couple of pages, you know, it it speaks to your abilities as a writer. So I wanted to make sure that if I could um, give somebody a gut punch in just a few minutes, I would wanted to explore that and see what it was like. Because typically what I write is more humor-based. But, uh, you know, here and there you'll get the kernels of the story that you say, oh, well, this, you know, this is definitely a little bit something deeper. Maybe there's more of a theme, more of a message here, uh, more of an underlying thing that I, I'm kind of working through. So, um yeah, I'm glad that you liked it, and and I hope that other people will check it out. It's it's free on the website. There's also a couple of other comics there. They can read my take on the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for free. They can see a uh, a Bucky O'Hare comic that I wrote, um, <laughs> and as well as a uh, a sci-fi short as well that was published a few years ago by Titan Comics. You have another book that's out. It's through Comicology. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it is definitely one I want to read. It's called Edison, and it's history, science, and humor. And your artist for this first issue is Giovanni Caporo. And with a name mm-hmm. like Giovanni, I was in. And you're going to have a, <laughs> a different artist on each book. Yeah. So Giovanni and I kind of concepted the book together. And what it is, is essentially is uh, the inventor Thomas Edison as an action hero in the 1880s. So he's a little bit James Bond, a little bit MacGyver. He has to use science to kind of overcome various hurdles. Uh, he goes up against other scientific minds of that era, namely like Nikola Tesla, uh, Alexander Graham Bell will feature heavily in future issues. So I, I'm actually taking a lot from history. I did a ton of research before I started writing it. Um, and, and Giovanni was great to help launch the series, but he unfortunately has had other commitments that kind of have come up that will prevent him from continuing on. Um, so just talking to him about it, he's a great guy. He's super nice. Uh, he said, you know, man, just keep it going. I, I want to read it. So I actually have the second issue with another artist, and then we'll we'll sort of uh, bounce around with different artists on future issues. Everybody will use the same concept art, so the characters will look very similar. It won't be hard to follow. Even if the styles are different, I think people will will be very interested to see what it will will look like. In addition to that, too, it's, it's, it's giving me an opportunity to spotlight artists that I really like. And since each issue will only be 12 pages each, it's not a huge commitment for the artists. They can kind of dive in, dive out of the world, produce a really fun, energetic, humorous story, and and hopefully... Um, it helps advance their career as well. And it's not a huge commitment for readers either because it's just 99 cents a story. Exactly. exactly. If you can get a, a good story for 99 cents, um, as, as somebody who reads a lot of digital comics, where, where I lived previously, I didn't actually have a comic book shop. The closest one was about an hour and a half away. Uh, so I kind of moved into the digital world, reading mainly on Comixology. Um, and, you know, I liked that people would make their books accessible um, as, as somebody that only has so much budgeted for comics each week. I can either read, you know, two Marvel or DC books at three ninety nine, or I can read a whole bunch of 99 cent indie comics. So it's actually made me check out uh, more stuff, more creators, give things a chance that maybe I, I wouldn't normally. I'm reading a book now, Rough Riders through uh, Aftershock, oh, yeah. Adam Glass and Patrick Olaf. I'm, I'm very familiar with it. I Once I um, was doing Edison, I remember Giovanni actually sent me a link to that book, and he said, oh, here's this other thing that's kind of in a similar vein. So, of course, you know, you want to check out and make sure that you're not butting heads with something else that's out there. Uh, thankfully, their book is, is more kind of like a drama um, action, uh, but really good. Like, I really like what they've done with some of the historical figures. Definitely, it's one I want to check out, the book that you've written. So, uh, And I'll be following that, and, you know, on my tablet for 99 cents, 
why not? I do enjoy going through comicology and just finding those little indie books that I would not have seen otherwise. And as I always say on my podcast, when I buy it through Comicology, I buy it through my comic shop's portal. So that way they get a taste. Oh, yes. that, that's good. Not every shop has that. But yeah, if you can do that, by all means, give them a little bit of a kickback to help keep the doors open and the lights on. Absolutely. Because that's where I get my, my print books every week, every Wednesday. Uh, if I can, I go during lunch. If not, right after work, I'm there. I can wait. I have a box, but, you know, kind of like unwrapping presents. I want to see the books. <laughs> yeah, and I'm with you. It's like there's a lot of stuff that I'll read digitally, but then I'll also purchase a print copy from a store. Um, you know, if I like it enough and I, if I know that I'm going to read it again, if there's something that I found, you know, that I learned from it or if it was a, a creator that really excited me or, or an artist that I wanted to be able to like hold the book and really look at the art on a minuscule level, then I'll absolutely buy a, a copy for the shelf too. Yeah, that's what I do. Absolutely. And I also buy a copy as a trade sometimes when I know the writer or the artist is going to be at a con. Yep. And I, I'd rather have them sign my trade and maybe even write a little something in it rather than just the individual issues that go into boxes. Right, right. And and we've all seen those people at conventions. Like, for instance, I was at uh, I was at the New York Comic Con back in 2013, and, and I felt so bad for Rob Liefeld because he, he was there signing copies, and there was there was a guy that was waiting in line that literally had an entire crate of single-issue comics that he was getting Rob to sign, just like one after another, just pulling them out and pulling them out and pulling them out. And I was like, man, I could never do that. Just bring two trades. <laughs> I've seen that many, many a time while I'm standing in line. And sometimes I'm standing in line, literally, when I was at Baltimore, just to say, hi, I, am, mm -hmm. I got a commission from you. Thanks so much. Hi, I just wanted to say, hey, and I have nothing to sign because I've had yep. things signed. And people bring in long boxes. And it's almost like a business, which bothers me because they will tape off the sides of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they'll have not, – not tape on the book, but they have this little way of protecting the edges. And they have the, the writer sign a certain spot. Yep. And they'll take 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, well, you know, if you're really a fan, do you need them all signed? I don't know. That's a question for the audience. They can answer that. And you can, they can do whatever they want, of course. I, I mean if the writer and the artist is willing to do it, fine. Um, I, I just think that it's not quite fair to everybody else who's waiting in line. I think there should be a limit of, say, well, you know, five books. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as, as a writer, if, if I'm picturing one day if somebody does that to me, it's going to make me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of work for you and also the people in line who – I mean, you want to get a chance to see everybody who wants to see you. Exactly, exactly. And sometimes they have – for like really big names like the Simonsons, they have to cap the line somewhere at some point. Mm -hmm. So then there's people walking away disappointed. Like one person I never got to see because the line would always get capped or was too long was Darwin Cook. Thankfully, I had an opportunity to, to chat with him at uh, a convention in Florida one time. Very gracious fella and uh, you know I, I hate that he passed away but – um, just, I, I really appreciate that time that he gave me just kind of talking shop. I didn't ask for anything, didn't want anything from him. I just wanted to say hi and let him know what his work meant to me. So I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do that. That's great. And I think a lot of fans should remember to do that. I mean, it's great to have your books signed. I know you're excited, but sometimes when you, especially if you've seen them before, just stop by and say hi and thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, it, it means a lot. You know, if you, if you read something that, that somebody drew or somebody wrote, um, and you liked it, you know, it just that can turn someone's day around. So I would encourage everybody, even, you know, look at the internet. You know, it's so easy to reach creators now through Twitter or Facebook. You know, uh, just when I get an occasional tag and somebody says, oh, I just read this book and I really liked it by Wes, you know, that, that can turn my day around. 
Yeah. I, cause like some creators get a lot of negative feedback and we don't yes. always see it, but they'll get that and they'll get a lot of, you know, trolls and people just throwing things out there. And there's some really bad stuff happening right now for some creators. And uh, yeah. it, it's not fair. Just so to hear some encouragement and backing from others goes a really long way. Yeah, it's interesting how that accessibility can be a very double-edged sword for sure. Well, I have some questions that I ask all my guests. By all means, I'm ready. I think, sir, you're prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like to do for rest and relaxation? Oh, man, I, I'll i tell you the, the biggest thing that I've done, and I've kind of made this, this decision consciously, is that back to where I lived kind of more in the middle of nowhere, I didn't have access to um, a comic book shop, but the other thing I didn't really have access to was a movie theater. So now I have a movie theater that's five minutes up the road, so I've made a a concerted effort to go and see as many movies as I can. So that's been very, very enjoyable for me. And I found that that's a good way for me to turn my brain off and just kind of get lost in a good story, unless the movie's awful and then I get pulled out of it. Because, you know, as a writer, like the thing that I have, the, the curse that I have is I, I see story structure on screen. So I can always, I can usually start predicting things that are going to happen relatively early on in the story. Although this works well for my wife because she she knows that I always know when the movie's almost over when we've transitioned into Act Three and there's only twenty minutes left. So mm-hmm. she's always like poking me like, "How much longer do we have?" Because <laughs> you know movies are getting longer and longer. I'm yeah, in the yeah. two and a half hours now. Um, so just trying to see as much as I can and experience as much as I can of, of all genres. Um, of course, we live in this awesome age where we're getting all these amazing comic book movies that you know if you told me that they were coming when I was a kid, I said, "You know, no way, you're crazy." So the fact that, you know, we have Marvel Studios, um, maybe not so much that other company, but the Marvel Studios one's, you know, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that every three to six months I can go see, you know, an Avengers movie or a Thor movie or, um, you know, even like one of my favorite movie franchises of all time. And not all of them are fantastic, but personal favorite is uh, Ridley Scott's Alien franchise. So the fact that we just got a new Aliens movie just you know, really excites me just as, as a consumer of media. So love it. With media changing and distribution changing so much so rapidly, I know people can watch stuff streaming, uh, Netflix, Amazon. They can buy the DVDs if people still do that. I even hear talk about movies maybe released to individuals first at through their you know homes through streaming. I know it's going to be expensive if they do it like thirty bucks a pop. So yeah, yeah, I've seen a couple of stuff like a couple of films on Amazon or such that'll say like released same day as theaters, mm-hmm. and and I don't know, you know, I don't know how that helps. I don't necessarily understand the business side of that industry as much. Um, but I think that anything that maybe helps to stop pirating, maybe helps you know, the, the writers, the directors to get a little bit more money, um, you know, is good. So I think it's neat that they're exploring these avenues. But personally, you know, I, I would, I'd love to see a movie in a theater. The only thing I don't like is I don't like going on opening nights because I don't like there to be too many people in the theater because then you get a lot of audience noise and it can ruin the experience. So I, I get, try to go see them like during the week at really weird times where I won't have to compete with anybody. A lot of the the films that I've seen in recent memory, uh, my wife and I were like one of two couples in the theater. So that's optimal viewing experience for me. That's exactly what we do. We tend to go. We never go on opening night just because it's, again, like you said, the crowd noise, the enthusiasm, which is great. But yeah. that's not how I want to see it. So I'll go on an odd night like Tuesday. There's usually like mm-hmm. a special and I can get a really good price for it. Yep. And Same here. It's great to watch things streaming when you can't get out, and maybe for people who there's just no way they can get out, they can purchase it and watch it at home. It serves a nice service for those individuals, but for me, I like the experience of being in the theater, not too crowded, where I can sit, you know, about in the middle, 
and grab something to drink and just sit there and hit the recliner and enjoy it. And it's it's an event to me. It's a special night. We actually have a uh, a video rental store that's like. 200 feet from where I live so I can I can walk over there and get movies and, and it may be the last one in existence as far as I know it's not it's not <laughs> like a blockbuster or anything it's it's a smaller chain but just having that and they, and they practically give movies away you get like three movies for the price of one or depending on the night they have very special so just being able to go back and see a lot of things that I've missed that people have recommended to me or told me were great um, so I would say that over the last year I've probably watched more movies than in the previous 10 years combined so that's been fun. Very relaxing. I'm trying to find more time to watch movies that I've always wanted to see, that I've never seen, that I need yeah. to see. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to like just check out uh, TMC every once in a while because I have my, my little like uh, fire stick and I can go mm-hmm. in there and watch if I missed it and didn't DVR it. So now I'm trying to watch Omega Man with Charlton Heston. Oh. I've, I've never had a chance to see that. I've not seen that either. I like those uh, post-apocalyptic movies from the 70s. Yeah. Lots of character. Yeah, anything with um, – well, actually, let me just back up. The beginning of this film, if you haven't seen it, he's driving through the empty city in a convertible. It's an old 70s car, and he pops in some music on the 8-track. And I was like, oh, I got to watch this now. It's an 8-track. <laughs> yeah. Good nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. Good actors. Yeah, but absolutely. I, but I love that sci-fi and those post-apocalyptic science stories prior to Star Wars – because Star Wars changed everything in terms of sci-fi and space. But prior to that, you know, Omega Man, Logan's Run, um, A Clockwork Orange, all those mm-hmm. things, they, they, there's, a, there's a real charm and charisma to them that I like. So I, I like watching this. I'm trying to get caught up on a lot of that stuff. The only thing I would say is that um, even though uh, as I've gotten older, my attention span has not increased. <laughs> so the fact that like movies are, are longer nowadays, I, I, I feel like you should be able to tell a very good story in, in 90 minutes um, and, and have people leave the theater happy. So now I feel like I'm inv- having to invest two and a half, three hours in a movie, which is hard for me to sit through personally. So I, I think that's my only complaint with cinema at the moment is that it's getting longer and it's not necessarily getting better. Um, I feel like a lot of movies have have a lot of fat on them that could be trimmed off. So to all the the Hollywood executives that are listening to this podcast, I would implore them to to try to scale things back and maybe not be so precious. I agree. I've had guests say that uh, the the sweet spot for a film, the best length, is about uh, ninety minutes, hundred minutes. That's about it. Because other than that, you're right. You're you're kind of padding and kind of going through. And it's really good ones. I don't notice the length of time, like some of the Marvel movies. Yes, it's yes. fine. You know, there's so much characterization and uh, relationship building, and it's just there's enough there that I don't. I'm not aware of the passage of time. Exactly. If it moves good, if it has a good pace. Um, no problem. But as soon as I notice that a movie is running long, it, I start, you know, I start shifting in my seat and then, oh, now I got to go to the bathroom, but I want to get up and go to the bathroom, but that's all I can think about now is going to the bathroom. And so, you know, I just get into these really weird spaces where I'm completely removed from the story. And, and, and I, and I hate that because I obviously, if I pay the ticket money, I want to go in and have a good time. And I don't want to be like looking at my watch, waiting, <laughs> right. waiting, seeing, counting down the minutes until I can leave. I hate that. I squeezed this one in right before I went to bed. It was on uh, TMC. And I was watching it through the app. And I've never seen this film, and it's one that you should see just from a historical perspective. The Great Train Robbery. It's 10 minutes long. It's a silent film from 1903. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm familiar. I, I don't know that I've actually seen it. I'm trying to think if, if I had to watch that like in school at any point. I, I went After I did my audio degree, I ultimately went back to school for creative writing. And I, I watched a lot of 
very interesting shorts and, and silent movies and foreign films. And I'm trying to think if I maybe actually saw that, but it's not coming to mind if I am. Yeah, there's um, – well, I like really, really old films, silent films, just to – and some of them are very long, but this one's short because this is one of the first ones. Uh, and what I thought was so interesting about it was there's special effects worked into it, and there are scenes where a gun will go off or there will be an explosion, and they actually paint the smoke. So there's color in the film that's and spots. So cool. Yeah, that's why I was like, oh, this is – I didn't know they did this in this film. So just out of curiosity, it'd be a fun thing to see. It probably might even be on YouTube. Who knows? But yeah. I just thought it was cool, you know, 10 minutes, you know, seeing something that that's a historically important, one of the first films out there. What I love about older movies is that, you know, they really force people to be creative with their special effects. You know, you look at Star Wars as a prime example. It's like, you know, they push the, the boundaries of the technology they had available to them. And, and I, part of me feels like a lot of the CG stuff is really kind of lazy now. You know, I, I don't think that like a xenomorph is nearly as scary when it's CG versus when it's a, a guy in an outfit. Absolutely. So I yep. feel like it's kind of, and I felt the same way from like the the Lord of the Rings trilogy where all of the orcs were actually like people dressed up to the Hobbit where they were all CG. It, it, to me, it really kind of lost some some character. Yeah, I agree. I've always said this too, is that I like the CG if let's say it's a historical piece and you want to add some crowds way in the back or you want to add some buildings and kind of flesh out the background. Mm -hmm. Something that's not organic, I think yeah. it works well. I don't well. want to notice it. Right. Right, because some things you just can't do. You can't build that world without the CG. But as far as the characters that interact, I needed to have some weight, some tangibility. Otherwise, I'm just not buying it. Absolutely, and then I can't help but wonder, you know, in, in maybe the like the new Star Wars movies or the the Marvel movies as they continue, I constantly am wondering how many people on the screen right now are actually real. Mm -hmm. Like, is it just one person surrounded by twenty CG characters, and that <laughs> has to present its own set of challenge for the actors too? But um, yeah, I just I, I don't like being pulled out of a movie like that. So, uh, you know, it, I can't stop it. I'm not, I guess, you know, they make a lot of money. I don't I don't want to stop it. You know, I, I have movies that can't be taken away that I love and hopefully won't be rebooted constantly. But uh, just, you know, something as a viewer, you, you know what you like, you know what you don't like. And I'll just keep rewatching all the movies I like. <laughs> That's I right. They're not going <laughs> <Forever>. anywhere. <laughs> you know, I had to work so hard. Like I had to actively find uh, and save up in order in order to get the Star Wars movies that hadn't been messed with, the, the non-special edition ones. Yes. I spent way too much money getting those DVDs recently. <laughs> so I just did not want it messed with. Somewhere I have the original VHS tapes before the special editions came out, before all the effects were added. Now, my next question, the island book question. You're stuck on a deserted island, and you only have one book. What would that book be? It would uh, just be looking at my shelf. It's it's placed very prominently at the moment. Uh, the, there's a book that I tend to read every single year that I feel that helps me as a as a comic book creator kind of remember um, not only like why I started writing comics, but what a comic book can be. And it is this huge trade paperback. It's probably 500 pages long that collects the entirety of the comic book Scud the Disposable Assassin into oh, one okay. giant paperback, which is the comic that made me want to make comics. So um, it, it's not it's not something that a lot of people, you either know about it or you don't. I, just in talking to people, it seems like it's kind of a niche thing. Um, but that's the book that I, I try to read once a year. Um, I adore. I think the story's great. It's very emotional. It uh, has fantastic characters. It's, it's hilarious. Um, and it shows what's possible with, with the medium. So that would be what I would take with me. Okay. I haven't read that one, but I have heard a lot about it, and a lot of people really do like that book. So, uh, that's highly recommended. Excellent choice. And 
You're off the island. Your beverage of choice. Coffee. All right. That's what I have right in front of me now. (laughs) But I have in front of me way too much to the point where my dentist and I had a serious conversation about it recently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it does take a little extra work with the dental care. Uh, You know, some... uh, some flossing, some good uh, toothpaste. Uh, yeah, you they, know. they weren't they weren't all that happy with me. Yeah. But um, I explained. I said, you know, hey, I, just, I need this. This is how I get my mojo to get through the day. And they said, okay, get it. Just just do better. So I, I'm kind of a, I'm not a coffee snob by any means, but I, I love it. It's what gets me up in the morning. I drink it way too much. Um, I love it. It's I guess it's the reason it's the most popular legal drug in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can't I can't imagine functioning without it, unfortunately. Well, before we wrap up, I would just like you to share with everyone where they can find your blog and uh, where they can find you. Yeah, the best place for people to go is, is my website at westloker.com, all one word. Um, there I have, my, people can find my blog, they can find the other various comic book projects and video game projects and other things that I've written. It kind of serves as my professional portfolio. Somebody wants to hire me to write something for them, it, the information to do so is there. Um, that, and that has, of course, links to Facebook, Twitter, so whatever, whatever you tend to use the most, there's a way to track me down. And I try to stay reasonably active on social media. Um, but again, there is at times a lot of negativity that I would rather just stay out of. Um, so there comes a point where I wonder if I, if I disappear from those things, if people will, people forget about me, but that's okay. Cause I would rather not be remembered for saying something stupid. I feel like nowadays you get one chance on the internet and if you say something that remotely offends people, you're done forever. <laughs> so I, I just try to stay, stay out of that stuff. Um, uh, but I hope that the things that I do post, whether it's, uh, it's links to my own work or, or links to work that, that I really do appreciate and enjoy, um, Hopefully, I'm providing some decent content for them, and at least you know some more minor jokes here and there. I try. Now, do you have a chance to go to any cons? Will you be appearing at any cons either this year or early next year? Um, next year, I'll, I'll be hitting it pretty hard. I, I moved to the area here, and when I got here, all of the conventions kind of happened within the span of about two months, and they were all full. Unfortunately, I got on all the standby lists and never never got any information. So. Um, I unfortunately didn't get to table any Ohio conventions this year, so the plan is to, to hit it hard next round. Um, I will be, I do have a signing coming up on October 28th in Canton, Ohio, at a store called Comics, Cards, and Collectibles. They're kind of doing a, a Halloween themed event, inviting a lot of creators, artists, writers, that type of thing. So I will be there um, with my, my silly Unit 44 book and a ton of other stuff. So uh, I welcome anybody to come by, say hello, uh, pick something up if they'd like to give it a shot, and I'll be more than happy to to sign it so they can eBay it later for a lot of money in retirement. <laughs> Any cons planned along the East Coast sometime in 2018? I, not at the moment. I, I don't have anything set in stone, so okay. I don't want to say one thing and then unfortunately have to go back and, and take it back. Okay. I'm just being selfish because I hit some, so I'm just trying uh, to see okay. what you're going to be. Okay, well, how about this? I would love to. The one convention I really want to go to, um, hopefully next year, um, is Heroes Con. Excellent. A lot of my friends go to, they've always said, you need to be at this one. Um, so I, I know some folks are going to be road tripping up from Florida, some creators that I'm friends with, so I may try to meet up with them. That's a good way to do it. Um, and I would say that of the cons I go to, I don't do a whole lot, but there's two that I think on the East Coast are outstanding. I just came back from Baltimore Comic Con last weekend. Mm-hmm. That one's fantastic. fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And Heroes Con, ditto. And, and both in really great locations. Both great have great accommodations, and it's all writers, artists, colorists, letters, editors. It's comic books, comic books, comic books, and creators. So it's really – both of them are really fun. 
And so your choice to go there is a good one. Yeah, and it's not super far away from where I am. It's it's maybe a, a six-hour drive or such, so it feels very accessible. And, and I feel like because it is so comics-focused and a lot of the creators that, that I do admire, I know go to it each year as well as a lot of indie folks. So it feels like a, a kind of a no-brainer. I mean, I went to New York Comic Con a few years ago, and while it was fun to experience that, the, the focus was definitely not on comic books. You know, the unfortunately, like the artist alley was, is relegated to an entirely separate annex building. Mm. And if you don't know that it's there, it's very easy to kind of overlook it and, and not even see that. So I was I, I felt bad that, you know, they had the Marvel, the DC, the Dark Horse booths were all in the main area. But then if you didn't know that all these these amazing artists were over here, you just you would pass them by. And, and unfortunately, you know, you're missing out on some some great material, some great comics uh, that they have for sale. Well, I hope you do make it to Heroes Con next year. I'm going to try. I hope to make it there next year. And uh, Wes, I really appreciate you being on Creator Talks, and thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate you giving people the, the forum to talk about their books, whether it's from a major publisher or an indie publisher. Um, you know, there's so much out there right now. I know that it, it's impossible to read everything, but hopefully people go back, listen to your archive and, and they find something that speaks to them and, and are able to get a little bit of enjoyment out of their day because of it. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe, it's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod, that's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I'll be posting my recommended reading picks, as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one, your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works, and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.